Oh, we're alive. Scrap the uh, the countdown. Hello and welcome to episode number 94 of the Wise Guys Podcast. I'm John Tortorelli with Brian Capazillo, and today we'll be covering all of the game ones, the relevant ones from day one of the NBA playoffs in 2023. But we've also got our NBA Finals picks and much more around the association, maybe some trade rumors, and also Dan Snyder selling the commanders. This will be a basketball episode with mostly basketball segments, but when Dan Snyder sells the camp commanders, you best believe we're going to at least discuss it and the potential ramifications of the commanders maybe being a well-run team again. I mean, in my lifetime, Brandon, they've literally never been well-run, and we could see a change in the guard here, but how are you doing? How are you doing this fine Sunday morning before you watch your heat get swept today? As well, they can't get swept today. It's can't get swept in one game, John. Um, one day at a time. Yeah, one day, one game at a time. Listen, I'm excited. We got playoff basketball. Um, uh, it was a great, uh, <clears throat> great four games yesterday. I got to really catch the last two Knicks, Cavs, and um, Warriors, uh, Kings at the end because I was working during the uh, Sixers, Nets, and a um, little bit of the most of the Hawks and Celtics, but. It was a great day of basketball. Playoff basketball is here. I want to give two shout-outs that I saw today, apparently. Happy birthday to two goats, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and one, Mr. Bill Belichick. So shout-out, happy both guys born on the same day. That's pretty crazy. Um, but, yeah, I'm excited. I'm wearing my Vice Miami jersey, Dwayne Wade. Wade County, we ain't going to be there today, but we're going to Milwaukee, and we'll see you there, 530 Stop embarrassing yourself wearing that. It's not going to go well, Bernie. Right, well, this is that not that embarrassing that. to wear a Dwayne Wade Miami Heat jersey, okay? It'd be embarrassing. Serious is going to be an embarrassment. I don't know. So let's talk about the Sacramento Kings versus the Golden State Warriors. This was the last game and the best one of the day. Uh, conveniently, it felt like the reverse order of how the game started was the reverse or the actual effect of what games were the best. So the Kings got a W, and they also got to light the beam, winning 126 to 123. Okay, so I felt there were a lot of similarities between this Canes game and the Knicks, where Sacramento does have more speed. They're going to play in transition more. And in this game specifically, what we saw the Warriors do was shift their focus to the DHO game at the Mount of Sabonis. They prioritized taking that away. Unsurprisingly, when you have Klay Thompson on your team, you know what a guy like Kevin Herter can do playing a similar type of role. And so they took Sabonis out of this game entirely. He shot 5-17, but he did get in on the offensive class, getting five offensive rebounds. And for that Kings offense, Brandon, what we saw was De'Aaron Fox going one-on-one, starting the game with not Jonathan Kaminga, not Aaron Andrew Wiggins, or even Gary Payton starting up on him. It was Dante DiVincenzo and your boy Clay Thompson, who in this stage of his career is not going to guard him well. And I felt like the Warriors were just poorly equipped to guard Fox one-on-one in this game. He erupted for 38 points. It was quite clear. This guy, he came into the league with his speed, and now it's his calling card. But over the last five, six years, he's just added more and more to his mid-range game. The shot making, the field, the ball handling. And he took over one-on-one, and that coincided with Malik Monk off the bench, dropping 20 points. That gave the Kings an edge in game one out. Well, you said Malik dropped 20 points, and he dropped 32 points. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, so to just uh, piggyback off off that, De'Aaron Fox. I mean, shout out this kid, right? He he is a bona fide star. I know everybody, John included, are, are trying to jump him into, into superstardom. I just want to pump the brakes on that, and that's no disrespect. It's just there are levels to this game. He is a bona fide star, though. 
Okay. This kid on his first ever playoff game went out there and dropped 38 points on what was it? 30, uh, 13 of 27 shooting. I, I can't do the math off my uh, top of my head that quickly. Uh, and then four for eight from three, which is 50%. I know I can do that math pretty quickly. So, but, but yeah, and you, I mean, De'Aaron Fox, I, I think he's the fastest man in the NBA now, uh, ever, especially since Russell Westbrook and, and John Wall have, you know, gotten older and injuries have dealt up. I think De'Aaron Fox is there. Uh, is the number? I mean, th- he's so freaking fast and quick. I, I know you, you said Clay can't guard him. I, I don't think it has to do with Clay not being. I just think one, the injuries with Clay, and two, it, it's just the quickness. I mean, Clay's quickness is obviously still not back yet. It might not be back because he's in his mid thirties now and he's coming off those two catastrophic injuries still. And De'Aaron is just the like I said, the fastest and quickest man in the NBA. So it's hard when you even then you throw uh, Gary Payton. And DiVincenzo, who I love, DiVincenzo. Shout out DiVincenzo. I was tweeting about him early uh, in the game. He was making big plays. He was he he's what I like to call John a championship player, a, a player who's who you want on a championship team who who can do the dirty work, scrap, fight, be a pest, play good defense, sound defense, assist the ball. He had a couple of good assists uh, uh, in the game there rebound, create havoc, uh, just so many different things, make threes. He can he can even get his own shot too if you need him to, not at a high level, but he he can. So I, I love Dante, Dante DiVincenzo. He is a real X factor in the series, and I thought he had a pretty damn good game uh, last night. And even uh, the great Doris Burke, after I tweeted about it, gave a shout-out to uh, Dante DiVincenzo. So I felt validated by the great Doris Burke. Shout-out, Doris Burke. But yeah, I – your boy Sabonis, John, I don't know if you want to – you didn't mention him. He, he didn't have a good shooting night. He rebounded the ball very well, 16 boards. Five on the offensive end. Yeah, yep. and you know, I felt like with the Warriors, Kevon Looney and Draymond both did a very good job at there the rim on him. And yes. as somebody that's really been hard on Sabonis, he's playing with an avulsion fracture in his right hand. Yeah, I didn't right, – John, I didn't even right know top. that. Yeah, I didn't even know All that season, last since night. December. Yeah, I didn't know. I heard the announcer bring it up, and then I saw his hand, and I saw how red his freaking hand was, and I was like, Jesus Christ almighty, man. Yeah, and I've been very critical of him this year for his lack of rim protection. So in this game, what gave the Kins the edge was those second-chance opportunities and the transition attack, and he only had two assists because the Kings were taking that element, or the Warriors were taking that away by playing more aggressive up on screens and not letting Herder get going. Hmm. But as you mentioned, Malik Monk in his playoff debut, they showed a stat ESPN. No, the Aaron, the Aaron Fox's Malik. playoff debut. Well, it was also Malik. Oh, what's the, oh it's right, the Lakers in, Lakers. Made in, in Charlotte. They, they actually now have the longest playoff drought. Apologies. He goes 14 to 14 at the foul. And that's the most I think ever in NBA playoff debut. And the combination of those two Kentucky guards, it's funny how I'm going to draw another parallel here. The Kings get, Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart, two college teammates, one of their best seasons of the last decade. The mm-hmm. Kings get De'Aaron Fox's college teammate and Malik Monk. It's the best season of the last decade. And Trey Lyles as well in the second half. He oh. hit some crucial, crucial threes. He went four of six. Alex Len even, like, he's not been the most credible backup center this season. He gave him 12 good minutes. And for a Kings bench that's been very, skep- very sketchy this year, mm. they got really good play down the stretch from their wings, their front court. I really was impressed. I have to repeat this with De'Aaron Fox because I do think he's gained to that John Morant level where in the regular season this year, he was playing at an NBA level, right? Mm. He comes into this first playoff game ever, 
and has the second most in a debut. You look at how he plays today, and if you let him go one-on-one, he's, he's going to torch you. You have to send doubles. You have to put an elite wing defender on him because of how versatile his on-ball game is. And so the more I watch him play, he balled out in the regular season, was the most clutch player in basketball. Mm. If he can build off of this in the series, and maybe Steve Kerr doesn't adjust by starting Wiggins in game two, I mean, he could get to that Morant level. We're talking about him as a guy that averages 30 assists and seven or or sorry, 30 points and seven or eight assists in the postseason while doing it on pretty good shooting. I've just been blown away this year with how dynamic he's been, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think Wiggins can do a better job uh, on Fox, but I still think Fox presents those quickness problems and, and – I mean, it'll be interesting to see because the, that quickness is a, is a, is an X factor, man. And and when you got a guy who is six foot seven, he's agile and Wiggins. But I mean, those feet get caught up, and, and <laughs> he, the foxes. I mean, you saw it when he sent the double at him. Uh, that one play when Wiggins came. I know Wiggins tripped up, but Fox saw the double coming, and he was like the goddamn um uh, uh the road runner. Mimi freaking just darted to the rim. I, the the speed is next level. So uh, some but, adjustments moving forward in this series. I, I I love Dante DiVincenzo's game offensively too, but he's more of a guy that fits in on defense, not your go-to wing. They absolutely have to start Andrew Wiggins. He played 28 minutes. He was seven to 16. He wasn't making the threes. And we well, saw he basically did start. He basically did, he but he did. did. Yeah, no, yeah, he didn't start the game, but he played majority of the minutes. And I think he's going to have to get up to 35 minutes at least in this series yeah. to guard Fox for most of those minutes. Gary Payne as well it seemed like he was on a little bit more of a minutes restriction at 20. And Jordan Poole played 21. Poole is going to get attacked. We saw that versus De'Aaron Fox. I feel like the Warriors have the personnel, the bodies to throw at the Kings. They have three yes. of them, three really good to elite defenders. It's just a matter of, okay, maybe you can slow down Kevin Herter and limit Demonte Sabonis, mm. but you have to you have to not let De'Aaron Fox drop 38 a game. And I really feel like he could do that against this Warriors defense that has been elite this year at well, home. Well, John, here, here's where I'll stop you. If De'Aaron, because I was just listening to Draymond Green earlier, and one thing he kept pound, hitting, pounding over and over and over again is uh, you got to live with something, right? You have to live with something. And if De'Aaron Fox is going to drop 38, I can live with that because it's De'Aaron goddamn Fox, right? What I can't live with is Malik Monk giving 32. What, what I can't live with, John, is two players off the bench scoring 48 points. Right. Can't live with that. That is not going to work. Okay. One thing you can live with is the starters for Sacramento while Fox went four for eight from three and he had a bad first half. The other starters went one from 12 from three that you can live with. If you're golden state, that will work. And that's not going to be sustainable. I think Kevin Herter going Herter's going to start making his shots. Yep. And I don't think going three is unlikely. I don't think it's sustainable for Fox to keep hitting 50% of his threes because he is a very low 30% three-point shooter. He can make them maybe in the maybe in the clutch more, but four for eight is kind of, you know, I, I see him more of like a – I just see him coming back to the mean. I think Sabonis can start hitting some shots. Keegan Murray was non-effective. I don't know. Did he get hurt or something, or they just decided he – He only played he 15 minutes. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. He just – I mean, he was one for five, over oh three from three. So That's why it helped better. that Trey was making shots yeah. so from that. I just think Sacramento was one of the three or four best shooting teams in the league this year. They took a lot of them. They made a lot. They're going to push it constantly. And for this Warriors team that they have a lot of older veterans between Steph, Draymond, and Clay, 
that's what's really going to put them to the stress test. How much do you want to run at these guys? Wow. And we're going to see that today with the Grizzlies. Mike Brown knows, okay, our strength is playing up-tempo. Mm. And if you can continue doing that, it's going to make the game, it's going to make it more flow, make it flow better for Keegan, make it flow better for Kevin Herter. And those two guys are guys that thrive off rhythm. I do think later on in the series, they're going to play a pretty huge role. This was Keegan's playoff debut. Herter last time he played in the playoffs or two postseasons ago against the 76ers, helped get the Hawks over the edge by attacking switches. He can do more than just spot up. And his movement shooting is going to be a huge factor. I'm pretty confident. Now, my prediction coming to this was Warriors and six. Mm. I still have that because I do think in game two, they're going to show up. I think they're going to do a better job. But I also don't think Trey Lyles is going to line up off the bench either. Yeah. That would be on the edge in this game. Um, but to say that this game didn't change my feeling a little bit, it would be an understatement because the Kings showed, hey, look, we're here to play. We're not the same old Kings. And they get their first playoff win since shit, I was two years old. And, uh, yeah, Vivek Rana, do you have after the game? You see De'Aaron Fox laying the B and Vivek's like, just like mm-hmm. now, I, I do want to say you did say, like, it's not sustainable uh, how badly they shot from three ball, uh, the the Sacramento starting offense. And I agree with you there. But what's also not sustainable, and you hit on it, was Trey Lyles giving you 16. And uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't think Malik Monk dropping 32 is a thing you can bet on. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe 20, 18 to 20 he can give you. But 32 is a little bit much. Also, Sabonis giving you 12. I think he'll probably have a better game. But I I, I don't know if you, you meant to say this, but I, I, I kind of – I think Golden State is going to win game two. I, I think that they – for them to steal a game, because if they don't steal game two, then now you have to win both games at home because we know how much they struggle on the road. Having to win – four or five games if you lose the first two i mean that that is something for a veteran team in the first rounds that does not go well i mean this king's team this year it's been better on the road and i mean for each of these two teams you're sleeping your better night probably it's like what it's 90 minutes minutes, i think i think it's 90 minute drive yeah yeah it looks like it's even less when i'm looking at it (laughs) and so i think for that reason it's not going to feel like there's this wide divide when one team's on road i really think it's going to be okay we're going to get the game five or game six. And the Warriors had that competitive resolve, mm-hmm. but the Kings had that youth. And they have a coach in Mike Brown who I didn't think Steve Kerr did a great job in this game, neutralizing Fox. And he made the point that Draymond said, but I am just a little bit concerned that Steve Kerr could potentially look a little bit, um, not unprepared, but I don't know if he's got the answer for this game's offense with the way Mike Brown has well, created this group. Listen, the playoffs is always, is all about adjustments. All about adjustments. So it's going to be who make, who makes the adjustments uh, in game and throughout the entire series. And the the Warriors are the experienced team. They're the most experienced team in the playoffs. They've been there. They've done that over and over again too. So I, I don't think you can ever count them out. Uh, and I think if anything, the the players on the court will make more of an impact than if if Steve Kerr is able to figure it out. But yeah, uh, this is going to be a great series. I, I don't – my opinion doesn't change. I, I Maybe it does go seven, but I'm going to stick right now with Golden State in six. Now, if they lose game two, I'll say Golden State in seven because then I think that they just, you know, match at home. I think Golden State wins both games on uh, at their house and then, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And then it comes down to game seven. I think Golden State is li- is is very real to, to win a game seven, even in Sacramento. 
So I'll, I'll stick with Golden State in six right now, but that's predicated on Golden State stealing game two. Which I fully expect. The big yep. three every year when healthy is going to the finals. Now, talking about a game that was similar in some ways, but very opposite in the actual excitement, the joy of watching the game um, from you know a skill standpoint. The New York Knicks also went into Cleveland like, like the Cavaliers as an underdog in this game and got the 101-97 win. Look, there are a couple of different issues with this Cavaliers team. And while coming into the year, I had very high expectations mm. on them. One thing I understood is that their bench is dog shit. Um, you look at the playoffs this year, you've got teams like the Nuggets and the Suns who they lack depth. But the Cavaliers, I mean, Karis LeVert coming off the bench, Dean Wade, those minutes were an absolute train wreck. I think, what's his face? LeVert made one shot. There's just a lot of names, a lot of guys like Ricky Rubio coming off the torn ACL, but no one you could actually rely on. Jetty Osmond gave him some good minutes. But what the Cavaliers had in this game was constant two-on-ones on the ball because the Knicks were pressuring them. They have Mitchell Robinson at the rim, and you kind of forget Isaac Okoro is out there because they're not playing him as their fifth starter. And that was what gave the Knicks the edge. On the offensive glass, they won this game, and the Cavaliers were just exhausted throughout the entire matchup by the end. Good news, there's two days of rest between this game and game two. But for the Cleveland Cavaliers, a team that has no depth this year, they'll go up against a Knicks team that is eight or nine guys truly deep that can all add something different. The big X factor in this series, I don't think it's going to be Julius Randle or Jalen Brunson. It's going to come down to that Knicks bench. It's going to come down to Mano quickly. He missed all five of his three-pointers, but still made a difference on defense. He's a player that, unlike Isaac Okori, actually had to play from behind the three-point line. And I think this Knicks team, for how much they get on the offensive glass, against a Cleveland team that gets no rebounding from the one through three spots. This, this year is, I had it go into six games. I think it's going to seven. This was an absolute rock fight. And though there weren't a lot of shots falling, Cleveland shot 32%, the Knicks shot 27. This series might be the most exciting in the Eastern Conference. Oh, yeah, in the Eastern Conference, no doubt, 100%. Uh, I'm going to say something, right? I, I underestimated the New York Knicks bench, right? I think I probably overestimated the Cleveland Cavaliers bench. Because uh, with, with Brunson being in early foul trouble, the bench and the depth of, of New York was able to really pick up uh, and, and I mean, not even just keep them in there. They had the lead going into the half. So he only played, Brunson played nine minutes in the first half. And they had the lead. So that that's just a big plus. You knew that was a big plus going into half, and that's not a good thing for Cleveland to look at. Arguably their best player doesn't it plays nine minutes in the first half and, and you're down. That's not good. Now the negatives for New York. I know Julius Randle is coming off an injury, but seven for twenty and three for ten from three. That's not that's not gonna cut it. I actually I felt he played play. relatively well. He set the tone early at those twelve he, points. Early, early. Yeah. Early, right. he made some good shots, yeah, especially with that with that um, left side uh, three. But I mean, seven to, for twenty is just not going to cut it, man. That, that's not going to work. That it, that's not a, a recipe for success for this uh, Knicks team. Uh, and you know, maybe we'll get into him later. But RJ Barrett also played like crap. I mean, two for twelve, one for five from three. That I, I'm not surprised. Uh, I called it once we started this show. I told you guys that. Listen, he's a solo guy, All right? And and I saw it. This 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 happened for me. I first ever watched RJ in uh, in the March Madness tournament uh, when Duke uh, not 
they play for Duke, right? They did yeah, play for Duke, yes. Uh, with Zion and Cam Reddish. And just watching the second half late, I I I got an understanding of who RJ Barrett was. He wanted to be the guy. He didn't want to give the ball to Zion. He wanted to, even if Zion had a mismatch, or even if Zion had it going, he wanted to be the guy. I saw that. So I, I he's a solo guy and he's not a good shooter. That's he's a guy that you have to build your offense around. And Duke, he had a lot of the sets going to him. In the NBA, you know, RJ Barrett's not Jimmy Butler. There's very few of those guys that can't be a good shooter and yet still are great. I think that's the thing. He doesn't fit in off the ball in a winning environment uh-huh. on the offensive end. Nope. Uh, and yeah, the, and I, IQ is going to have to play better. Uh, they're going to need him. I, 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 what did he do? He went 0 for, 0 for 5 uh, from the field, only played 24 minutes. So he, he's going to, they're going to need him. Uh, if they're going to uh, win this series too. Honestly, they're not going to need much though against this Cavaliers bench. Like my thought, Brandon, is that the Knicks should bench RJ Barrett. It's not because mm-hmm. uh, RJ stinks. He gave him four steals. He had some assists. It's a matter of to get RJ right, have him play against that Cavaliers bench that has no meat on the bone at all. Get him into a rhythm in that second unit and start Josh Hart, who was huge for them on the right. offensive glass. Yes. That's where I mean, real quickly, he didn't have a great game. It really doesn't matter because what you're up against it's probably the worst bench out of any team in the entire NBA. I think it's worse than the Denver Nuggets bench. Okay, at least they have Bruce Brown, who they can credibly rely on. The Suns have Torrey Craig and a couple of different wings, like Josh Akogi, who can yeah. really make a difference. The Cavaliers don't have that. They're basically playing four and five out there, especially if Jetty Osmond doesn't shoot two of three in every other game in this series. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I, you're probably harder on Karis Levert. I, I don't expect Karis Levert to go one for one for seven again. I, I think he, he's a better player than that. He he's better than one for seven. Uh, but like, like I was saying, with quickly, uh, I don't expect him to go over again. Basically, is what I'm, I'm getting at. So it, it's it is going to be a different game when he's playing. And positives on the Knicks side, Brunson didn't get discouraged by the foul trouble in the first half. He came out in the second half, and let me get this right. Scored 21 points. I mean, shout out Jalen Brunson. And and we talked about De'Aaron Fox's quickness. This guy's first step, It. I mean, there were a couple of times Sweet. that I just went, dear God. Uh, so the guy wasn't, I mean, he did, I, I forget who was guarding him, uh, but it was probably a Kuro or, or, or Osmond, but just darted on him. And I was like, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Uh, so... And then Josh Hart, like you said, 17 and 10, that's great. I don't expect him to, to, to give another 17 and 10 game, but that's the type of energy and spark that he provides off the bench and you want him to start. I have no no qualms with that. I think he's he's, he's another guy like a, a, a Dante DiVincenzo is talking about, championship player right there, championship player. But let's talk about the Cavs. Unless you want to – do you want to, you know, give – Tibbs, any credit, John? Or- I do want to give Tom Tibbs no credit because, you know, he's a coach that does always prepare a lot in the regular season. And one of his philosophies is, and I love this, when I played basketball, I had coaches that get pissed at me when I leave a dog shit shooter open. I think that's a great philosophy. For a Cavalier team that gets really nothing offensively outside their backcourt, he let that fifth guy open, and that allowed the Knicks to play aggressive on the ball because 
while the Knicks, sorry, while the Cavaliers probably the best backcourt in the NBA, Brandon, they do have an issue, and that's a lack of versatility. They're going to attack you the same ways with the pick and roll every single time. It's not like they have, uh, what's his face? The guard from the Nets, Karis LeVert attacking you from the wings. No, he's going to have some chaotic drive, probably turn over the ball, if not brick a layup. He's a lot like RJ Barrett, where you just can't trust him off the ball. He's not scalable. And so when you look at the Cavaliers guards getting pressured to one one, now they're kicking it to a guy like Isaac Okoro who's now in a rhythm. And I, and I feel like Thibodeau, with his bench being ready, but also him being so aggressive on the ball and pick and roll, it took away what the Cavaliers do best. And it kind of neutralized that. In spite of Donovan, dude, he had 38 points. Let me mention it. He played out of his mind, and that still was not enough to get the Cavaliers their game one W. You are muted, though. Still muted, actually. I think you're muted in StreamYard. Okay, I got it now. Um, one thing on the uh, one thing on the uh, last thing on the Knicks that we talk about the Cavs. Uh, you said leaving wide open. That, that is a great listen. If Ricardo's on the court, if he can't, you're not making threes. I'm leaving you wide open. We've seen it basically uh, against almost any team. If you have a bad three point shooter, Draymond Green, name the guys. I mean, Popovich was was telling his players to literally back off a of LeBron James. Uh, even when he was a Miami Heat, uh, on the Miami Heat. So it's just a smart game plan to do. One thing, though, there was a play where Julius Randle left Garland wide open in the corner, uh, and he ran out on oh, – I forget who had the ball. I think it was probably Donovan Mitchell or something. Uh, he uh, just, like, closed out on him in the middle, and then it was just wasn't smart. And then the guy kicked it out to Garland and he cashed in on the three point shot. You can't do that. You, you can't leave a Garland wide open from three. That's just not a smart play. But onto the, the, uh, the, the Cavs. You were incredibly high on them. Spide is going to need some help if they're going to win this series. Uh, he can't do it by himself, man. And I know he had an incredible game 38 points. Uh, I think he shot 50%, almost 50, 14 of 30 from the field. But there were some shots that I didn't agree with him taking, that he was just heat checking, especially from three that I did not like. Yeah. Uh, but he wasn't getting any help. I mean, Garland taking only 13 shots. I think he has to take more shots. Yes. I think he has to be more aggressive. One assist is not going to cut it for Garland either. I mean, I need you to be more of a playmaker. I know that's asking a lot, score more and assist more. But listen, buddy, it's the playoffs. You're the second guy on this team. We need you to produce. It's playing 43 uh, minutes. Yeah. So. Mobley, I know you were incredibly high on him, John. I mean, you had some praise about him saying he could be the next Kevin Garnett. Defensively, maybe. Offensively, it's <laughs> Kevin <laughs> Garnett in his age 21. about Jimmy Butler missing some easy shots yeah. at the rim. This year, guy. So so here's the thing. You talked about it. You mentioned it. Darius Garland needs to play on the ball. If the Cavaliers are going to win the series, it's not going to be the way they played in game one. Mm. They need to put him off the ball and have him attacking secondary closeouts and such because Darius Garland had such a small use during this game. And Donovan was taking those tougher three-point looks. Yeah. Now, he made six of them, but he also took 16. Yeah. And I feel like Evan Mobley gave Julius Randle trouble. Now he does yeah. lack some power, so Randle can definitely drive on him and get his shoulder. He's, he's gonna he's gonna build into his his body. He's still a young guy. He's gonna build yeah. the mature. Mobley went four of thirteen though because he's not an above average player at his position offensively yet. And mm. at twenty one, you shouldn't really expect that because with the Cavaliers having to deal with those two on ones, there weren't many opportunities from the not kick it out to an elite knockdown shooter. Yeah, Jenny making some looks, but. 
for a team that shot 32% in this game, Mobley's best making slips and then a simple read, a dump off pass or a kick out. His best skill offensively is passing. But when guys aren't making shots, you're neutering that ability and you're allowing him to be a scorer exclusively. He can finish plays, but against Mitchell Robinson, who had himself a stout game at the rim, it just in his playoff debut didn't come easy. Now, he was great defensively on Julius mm-hmm. Randle. Randall has not seen that before, but 11 rebounds, five offensive. That was the positive. The negative was he wasn't finishing plays, and it shows. Look, Jared Allen's a solid offensive option. He had four assists, but Garland needs to have a way bigger offensive role to diversify this mm-hmm. offense a little bit. And it's it's tougher because Garland's elite skill, it's not playing in isolation. It's playing in pick and roll. And the Knicks are well-equipped to play that for as long as Isaac Okoro doesn't make shots. Yeah. The good news, Brandon, is that I think he will start to make some. If you leave a shooter in the NBA open long enough, they're going to have some games where they shoot three or four. And those games, the Cavaliers will win. The question is, in all the other games, there's probably going to be more of them than not in the series. How are they going to get that offensive production? How are they going to get that shot making outside their backcourt? Because, look, they may have the better duo. Yeah. They're going to need something offensively from those other guys, whether it's Evan Mobley stepping up and being that two-way reliable presence. They don't don't have a two-way player on this team, really. It it is Evan Mobley. They need him to be that. Or is it one of these hopscotch hopscotch wins off the bench who have all been unreliable this year? I I don't think it's going to be Levert. Listen, I mean, you make a lot of good points. Uh, One thing I want to speak on that that you said about Mobley and his passing ability, I I instantly thought of that one play where Mitchell – got the ball pump fake to three laser pass to Mobley. And then Mobley did the behind the back to uh, Allen. That was just a great play, a great ball movement. Um, but where are they going to get this from? You say, Mo- uh, listen, you say Mobley, you shouldn't expect that from a 12. Tw- this is the playoffs, man. We need you. We need you to do something, man. We need you to four for 13 is not going to cut it. It's a lot like, like Bam. Yeah. Karis Levert, well, Bam has a better uh, mid range game at least, but yes, I-, I see what you're saying on that. Karis Levert, uh, like I said, I don't expect him to go one for seven to zero for three. Um, he's he liable to do that, yes. But uh, I, he was taking a lot of bad shots that game. I think he was pressing a lot, so he just needs to get a little more comfortable, play more in himself, and and I think he'll start knocking his shots down. Ricky Ruby only gave you six minutes. Uh, he had <laughs> this guy is just so. I mean. He's got a pretty damn good handle. He made one great move where he crossed over to the right, had a wide open layup, and just <laughs> don't know what happened, man. He missed that. Negative uh, nine in six yeah. minutes. Ch- uh, Chetty Osman, um, he-, he came off the bench. He didn't play the entire first quarter and then came in the second quarter, which I was happy about because I was like, oh, you're not going to play Chetty Osman? Uh, but, yeah, def- defensively, uh, he-, he couldn't he couldn't handle uh, Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson is too quick for him. Uh he wasn't yeah. terrible defensively. Like, I think he gives them enough of what they need. He's a t- he's, he's tough. Yeah, he's tough and he's going to fight. Like, right, he's not going to give up. But I just think the quickness of Jalen Brunson is going to be a little too much. Now, they were they were doing a uh, – I feel like it was in the first half. They were doing a – I know it was only nine, nine minutes, but they were doing a pretty good job of defending Jalen Brunson well, where I was like they were basically guarding his left hand. Like, they were saying go right. Um, and I thought that caused a little bit of trouble at Jalen. But then I guess they either – I didn't notice it in the second half, so they either got away from it or Jalen just started t- uh, taking advantage of it. But, yeah, I, I, I think it's got to be Garland, Lavert, 
everybody's got to step up. And I think Mitchell's got to take a couple less shots. Like I, I want him taking at least 20 shots a game, but 30 is a little too much. You've got to get these other guys involved. And I think they have to Garland, especially, I think he's got to be more aggressive. I, I do. He's got a very good mid range game. Uh, so he's got to be more aggressive in getting these shots. And I, you say the Knicks are very good at uh, guarding the pick and roll. Well, Listen, how many times do we sit when we watch a basketball game? We say, wow, that's great defense. And then the shots go in and it falls. You're like, that's just better offense. That's sometimes just got to do it. You got to match it and, and you got to go pick and roll. If you believe in Garland and Mobley, well, then let's go. It's the pick and roll league. That's but, true. It's just the Knicks perimeter players, perimeter, not their line, are much bigger. Josh Hart is going to do a lot defensively on the glass. And I think yes. that's the holdup where they're going to play physical. Uh, my expectation for the series, it was Cavaliers in six. You know, Brian, I'm going to make it Cavaliers in seven just because I've watched this Cavaliers offense throughout the regular season. I, I've been aware it's not just the Knicks rebounds, the Knicks pace. The Cavaliers were at the slowest pace in the league. This was mm-hmm. something Romain talked about. And the Knicks in transition, they got out and running. It was the run with the Bulls. And that's something the Cavaliers don't do as well. Two smaller guards in the backcourt, they're not a very good transition defense. That was the one I guess, concern in spite of being the number one ranked defense this season. So the Knicks transition attack, the offensive rebound, and the pick and roll coverage is what I think is going to make this probably the closest series out of any in the first round. I'll say this. I'm sticking with Cavs in seven, but I'm worried. And if their bench doesn't play better and they don't get any, you know, more offensive production from other guys other than um, Mitchell and Garland, I'm telling you right now, the Cavs can go home in five. Okay. Because it's, listen, the Knicks are deeper. They play harder. They have the energy. It's, it's, these guys are here, man. And this, this, they did that in Cleveland. I know game one is the toss up. And I always say that, but this game two, listen, you cannot lose game two. I know must win is, is kind of, you know, hard to say if one game in, but, more than most you players. drop game two, you're going to MSG, and you think those fans are going to be wild, man. They're not coming back if they go down 3 1, if they lose two of the next three games. Um, I know a lot of people tend to overreact to game one, but there is a pretty big red flag here is that the Cavaliers they're reliant on four players, and the Knicks have eight guys, yeah. Right? And this is also a very big series for a younger team in Cleveland that, you know, the Knicks went to the playoffs in 2021, got the tar bean out of them, and now they have a little bit more experience. With this Cavaliers team, most of these guys don't have experience outside of Donovan Mitchell. Jared Allen is in one playoff uh, setting, and that's what's going to be the other concern here, the fact they're still learning on the go. Now, what series do we want to talk about next? Hawks, Celtics, or Nets, 76ers? The Nets, 76ers game, it was funny. James Harden went ballistic from three-point range. I think the stat was he was 7 of 13 from three, yeah. but one of eight on twos. James Harden is really a game one type of player to me, Brent, mm-hmm. where he's going to light up. He's going to have these big scoring performances. And I was impressed by the 76ers and Joel Embiid especially in this game. He didn't have his best offensive matchup, but the Nets, a team does not have uh, much size in the front court. We'll put it that way. They couldn't finish a lob attempt with him dropping back in coverage. And I think we saw pretty clearly they're not going to get to the rim at all against Joel Embiid in this series. Now, the Nets dominated in this. Sorry, the, the 76ers dominated while the Nets did shoot well in this game. And 
I think this is going to be a super competitive five-game series where Mikel Bridges had 30 points, even though he only had two in the third quarter. The Nets do have a lot of different players in the perimeter. They have a lot of skill. Mikel's breaking out into a star, but they just simply have no answer, I think, for Embiid and um, James Harden. That's why this series, to me, it's just not very watchable. I know it's going to happen, but I do know the Nets are going to make shots. The 76ers, unlike the Cavaliers Nets, they're both going to shoot 35 to 40% in the series because two of the best shooting teams in the league. It's just a matter of, you know what's going to happen. It's it's Joel Embiid. Yeah. Uh, well, one thing, I think they did a pretty damn good job. Again, I didn't get to catch this game, but I, 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 I took some time and listened to some people that are, you know, knowledgeable about the game. And one takeaway was they did a pretty damn good job on Embiid in terms of throwing doubles at him and getting the ball out of his hand um, and basically making the others beat you, right? Goes back to the Draymond quote, you got to live with something. You, you touched on it a little bit, John, but the 76ers made a play, a franchise playoff record 21 three-pointers in their win against the Nets. James Harden made seven of Philly's three-pointers. Only AI with eight has made more in a playoff game in franchise history. Guess You know what I tweeted when I saw that stat? So the odds of them doing that again are slim. That That's not going to happen again. If it's a playoff franchise record, you're Probably not going to – yeah. But they were number one in three-point percentage this season. They are, but I, I just don't expect that type of output. Now, I'm, I, I, I picked the Philly in, in five, but because I just expect Brooklyn to be able to get one at home, uh, either game three or game four. Maybe Philly takes the, – the, I, I can easily see Philly going up 3-0, Philly being like, eh, game four, they don't really get up for it, and then they take care of business back home in Philadelphia. But, yeah, I, I – there's not much really to say about the series. I th- you say it's going to be a competitive five-game series. Probably Brooklyn's going to fight. They're a gritty team, but w- we know Philly's going to be able to take advantage. I expect Embiid to have a, a, a couple of bigger games. He's going to be able to take advantage of the double team somehow and and, and have some big games. So. Yeah, only 26 points. I do want to shout out your boy, P.J. Tucker. I mean, he was great in this game. Five steals, offensive rebounds. He made two shots. Him and Paul Reed played phenomenal. You want to know? You, know you want to know what PJ Tucker is, John? He's a championship player. Championship player. I think he he truly. If the Sixers this year go to the conference finals, we have to talk about PJ Tucker as one of the greatest role players of all time. <laughs> That's um, what he did in Houston. I mean, he was scoring Anthony Davis in a, a playoff setting all by himself, almost. You know what? Also, he, you know what? Also, he reminds me of. I know it's different, but he's like a new age Dennis Rodman. I mean, I know he's smaller and stuff like that, but he is kind of that that new age Dennis Rodman. He kind of reminds me of like a Charles Oakley, uh, more of the enforcer type. But, you know, I I see you. Rodman was an enforcer. Rodman ain't played no shit. It's a different type of enforcer of PJ, where he's more of an in-your-face, burly type. Rodman was more finesse in some ways, and just he was pure hustle too. But, you know. Romain's the chat. Shout out to FLB. They have no way to guard Joel and beat one on one or the Harden and beat pick and roll. That's very true. And part of it is this is not a Tyrese Maxi series against this Nets team with their length, but it is a series where you're going to throw doubles and Embiid, but you have elite shooting everywhere. You have D'Anthony mm-hmm. Melton, you have Georges Nien, Max, who will make shots. He was three of five from three in this game. Tobias Harris, even. I think Tobias Harris, one of the most inconsistent role players. He pisses me off. 
but he can make a three-point looks. You can't leave him open because he's a player that gets into but a They don't use route. him the right way, John. He's mm-hmm. not a sp- – they don't use him the right way. He's not a spot-up three-point shooter. He can do it, but he is more of an ISO player who can go get your own point. I mean, he's averaged 20, 21 points per game before. They yeah. don't use him the right way because it is a James Harden and Joel Embiid pick and roll, get the ball to Embiid on the post, that type of game. That's really what it is. And then Tobias just has to be a spot-up three-point shooter. It's kind of like what happened to Chris Bosh and Kevin Love. That third guy has to take a different role. So now Tobias has to be a defender, which he really wasn't known for before, and a spot-up three-point shooter, which he really wasn't before. He can do it, but it's not his strong suit. So, I, I again, I don't give – I don't hate that – I don't think you should hate that much on Tobias. He's in a role, and he has to play his, his that type of role. When he puts up a seven-point game in game seven, you know, here's the thing, Brad. You know, you're very critical of R.J. Barrett, but he's best in the setting where he's going one-on-one, not going one-on-one, but having a larger role in the offense. Okay. Now, I'll admit, R.J. Barrett's an empty calories player, but well, so is Tobias Harris in many ways. R.J. Barrett is he's not a, even close to the shooter Tobias Harris is. No, but he is a way better ball handler and attacker of the rim. So I feel like That's fine. The ball, they well, have diff- more, they have different skill player. sets. They're similar type of players. They're just not guys I think that will start on a championship team because of their inconsistencies and lack of rule versatility. Well, again, I, again, I think he's he's more, Tobias is more yes he's more equipped to be on a team like I don't know the Utah Jazz or something like like a Laurie Marketing where he can be the number one guy on a team that's not going to make the playoffs or anything and he can go get you 20, 24 points a game. Uh, like I said, he's he's been put in a role that I don't think he particularly fits, but he's doing his damnedest. I don't think you can really you know hate on him that much, man. I'm going to hand him his game pay that much money. Uh, it's, that's Elton Brand's fault. But we can kind of brush past the Hawks. They lost by 20 points. I stopped watching. They're down by 30 in the second half. But Brandon, Trey Young in his last seven playoff games is 8 of 49 from three-point range. <laughs> that is the worst. That is the least amount of makes. At a 16%, at a 16, what? 16% is what he is shooting in his last seven games since three. No player has made less threes on less on more attempts. I don't know where ESPN gets these stats, but the, whoever gets the ESPN stats needs to be making at, at least in the triple figure. Yeah, I don't know what they Six doing. figures a year. Because I want that guy. I'm the type of stuff they pull out out of the – it's truly elite. It's generational stuff. I don't know where you find it. I look all the time for weird stats on stat moves and different sites, but dude, I don't know where they're scourging this information from. Whatever database they have to filter it out, it is truly one of a kind. I but want maybe that. Maybe NBA.com has it, but I check NBA.com. I don't think they have that. It's, it's next level stuff, man. It is next level stuff. But yeah, I. you speak on Trey Young and his... his and I told you, listen. Every time Trey Young took a took a deep three point shot, I was like, "Yeah, keep doing that. Please keep doing that." He think, and this is he thinks he's Steph Curry. He's been told he's the next Steph Curry by fans when he was coming out. He's not. He's not. I think growing up, you think you're Steph Curry. He can make shots like him. But uh, one last thought. You know, you had Jalen Brown first team all NBA when Romain was with us. Yeah. And I laughed at you, Brandon. It turns out what's come to my information last what come to my senses for the last couple of days, more people have put Jalen Brown first team all NBA. Now Who? Who? in this series, the Who Celtics, they're gonna this this duo is gonna dominate yeah. the Hawks on the wins because they have no answer for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And the more I watch this type of matchup, the more I say. All right, the Celtics are definitely going to be due for a stinker game. I think this is still going to be a five-gamer. But, man, Tatum goes 10 of 23, Brown 12 of 23. They both put up 25. 
this is the best window in the NBA. And the Hawks have no answer for it. You go to wow. round two first. If they have to play this, this, oh my God. If they have to play the 76ers in round two and Tobias Harris is guarding Jason Tatum, it's over. It's a wraps for the 76ers for that very reason. No, no and that sure. puts them up in the conference finals. Why would the Bucks be in the Celtics, man? I do not feel great about any of their wings, including Chris Middleton with his knee injury guarding these two Jays. And it's not because I love them so much. It's just a matter of there's no team on the wings that can truly match up with them that well. The only squad in the East is really the Nets with Mikel, Jordan Finney-Smith. Kim Johnson got cooked last year by Luka Doncic. But there's not many teams that have two-way wing defenders, and Mm. that's what you need to beat this Boston team Mm -hmm. because of how dynamic those two are. Yeah, I mean, first off, you brushed over something. So, who are, do you have names of these people that said I do? We had a OG respected, like you respect these people's opinions and stuff. Yeah, for the most part, um, we we had OG on pick a side, and he made the point where this is what he said. He goes, "How is Jalen Brown not first team All NBA? Okay, in the history of the NBA, only eight duos have averaged. What was the stat? Have oh, only eight duos have had." Two first-team All-NBA players. Those were Moses and Dr. J. It wasn't Elgin and Jerry West because they played before the All-NBA teams. Uh Kareem and Magic, Michael and Scotty, Stockton and Malone, Nash and Stoudemire, Kobe and Shaq. Wade and LeBron? It wasn't wasn't Wade and LeBron. They never were. The seventh was... Was it a third Laker duo? LeBron and Anthony Davis. That was the most recent. Right. And there was an eighth in there, Brian. All right. Well, listen, I, I just want to say, listen, because I – Celt- Oh, the eighth was Larry Bird and Kevin McHale in ah, the 80s. So okay. he was making the point. Look, Jalen Brown's averaging 27 points and seven rebounds, which I hear, and that's pretty impressive. And he was like, hey, look, if the only other number two to be averaging 27 points was Kobe Bryant, who made first team All-NBA – and Scotty did it average in 17 that, you know, Jalen Brown should be a first team all NBA guard. And then I started to warm up a little bit once I heard that, Brandon, a little bit. I still want to have him first team all NBA. No way, no how. But <laughs> that to me, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I just want to say, first off, shout out OG. I've, I've, I've heard him uh, on TikTok and I do, I respect his opinion a lot. Uh, he, he knows what he's talking about. Um, so shout out, uh, OG, you know, it's always great to be validated again with, you know, you know, great minds think alike is, is like, I like, I like to say so, but yeah, with the Celtics in terms of them running through the East, I I do see it happening pretty easily. Uh, Atlanta, I think they'll get through. I think they'll, I think Philly will take them six games and I'll think, I think they beat Philly in six. And, uh, while I love Giannis, uh, it's just this this team and we'll see how, how the Bucks play. They play today at 5:30. We'll see how they handle uh, Miami. Uh, I, I, listen, I expect them to beat Miami in five, but it'll be interesting to see how the games go, how Middleton does look, because that's that gonna. Well. I think. Go ahead. Oh, I was saying the games aren't gonna go well. Well, you don't know. You're making an assumption. You, right? know and, you don't and, have PJ to throw on Giannis. You have Bam guarding Giannis. Well, you're asking to be number. First two. off, we're not guarding Giannis one on one. Most likely, it's going to be building a wall. And who's okay. building the wall? What what parts well, do you just, have? You're, you're building throwing, listen, work, you throw it. You're building you, throw, you just throw people. You just throw Romain people. Not. Listen, Romain. I don't want to hear it. Okay, I'm tired. I'm tired, John. I'm, just, I'm letting John, you know I have time. John, you don't have the person. You have no you have zero depth in the I'm front sick. court. Well, you don't. You have no one to take a double line. I'm sick and tired. Okay, I don't. I don't want. I'm listen. 
but you're right. Continue on Chris Middleton. You made a good point there. I did. All right. You're going to make me cry, honestly, because I'm sick and tired of this Miami team. All right. Just stop piling on. I know what happened. I know what we have, and I know what we don't have. All right. Just let me live. Um, I, I, but in terms of Middleton, it's this series is going to be more built on what he can give and where we see him uh, going from now. So I think he's going to be the guy that, that everybody's going to be looking at and, and seeing what is he going to provide and how he looks in this playoff series. So, yeah, I, I, I w- you want to get into the, uh, our finals predictions? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Uh-huh. Uh, my finals prediction come into the year. It was some stupid shit. I, I think <laughs> I had, who was it? I had the Nuggets going to the finals, and I still do. I had them winning the NBA championship. In fact, I saw the NBA leaked the script, and that's that's what I came came yeah. to like conclusion. Was that, to. that was definitely I had that, not man. the Bucks going to the finals. I think I had the Celtics going to the finals, which yeah. wasn't that bad. But you know, I tend to think that my take was worse than that. My take's never bad, but here's here's my NBA finals predictions, Brandon. Okay. A lot of people are not going to agree with me here, which I'm glad about. Round one, I had the Nuggets taking care of the Timberwolves in six games. Minnesota really routed OKC good the other night. And the Suns-Clippers series, I don't think that's going to be competitive. I think Phoenix is going to dominate in five. Mm-hmm. They're going to play the Nuggets in round two. And then I've got the Lakers or Grizzlies going to six games, but I think the young guys are going to wear down the Lakers in transition, okay. and they're going to win that in six. And they've got the Kings versus Warriors, even after last night's loss, Golden State taking that in six or seven games which will put them against the Grizzlies, a round two rematch from last season. Now, I think the Grizzlies, their lack of front court depth, it's going to make them the worst team in the last postseason. But John Morant missed the second half of that series. And the Warriors taking that ultimately in seven games, and they're going to play the Denver Nuggets after they beat the Phoenix Suns in round two. I don't trust the Suns' depth. I also think DeAndre in this year has been a piss-poor rim protector, really bad. And I think against Jokic, because of how great he is on the ball, he's going to open things up. The Suns don't have any depth, so they're going to run them out. They're going to run them out of the gym. If they have no depth and the Nuggets like to push the pace with their shot making, I think the Suns' defense, after training Mikel, Cam Johnson, and relying on guys like Josh Okogie, who are very one-way street, they're going to take care of the Suns in six or seven games. Will be a competitive series, though. There's no doubt because offensively, Jokic is going to have a hard time guarding Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Then I've got the Nuggets beating the Golden State Warriors in the conference finals, Brent. Brand, a lot of people are going to laugh at me because last year they lost in five games, but this Denver team is different. You give Jamal Murray two series to ramp his way up, and Michael Porter Jr. on the floor, Bruce Brown, I think they have enough connectivity. And the Warriors, well, they definitely have Kevon Looney. Last year, man, that series, Jokic cracked the code. So I've got the Nuggets going to the NBA Finals where they're going to play the Milwaukee Bucks. I think the Bucks are sweeping Miami. Maybe it goes to five games. It's just a bad matchup for Miami altogether. And unless my extras puts up another eight-point uh, game, which probably won't happen. Then I've got the Cavaliers beating the Knicks in seven games. That series is going to be interesting. We'll see how that plays out. The Hawks losing to the Celtics in five or six. And the 76ers winning in five versus the Nets. So the Sixers will then go on to play Boston. I think Boston wins that. They've got nobody to guard Tatum or Brown. And they're going to play the Bucks after they beat the Cavaliers ultimately in the second round. The Cavs, much like the Grizzlies, are a top eight team in the NBA, but they just had a lot of holes, which kind of lead to me having the Bucks go into the finals. But Brandon, this Chris Milton knee injury, I feel like it's time to acknowledge it. Chris Milton's not a top 50 player anymore. In the regular season, he missed most of the season. 
He's already a guy that's very inconsistent, streaky shot making. And now he's had multiple knee injuries. I mean, he's like a simple mid-range jumper, and then he was missing out of the regular season. I have really no faith in Chris Milliton staying healthy. I hope he does as a basketball fan, but that's a concerning trend where the guy, he's not making any big-time moves, any athletic plays, and he's simply getting hurt by like a turnaround, typical mid-range jumper. I think he might not be available for them uh, in certain parts, just like last year in the postseason. And what we talked about last year is going to lead to why the Bucs don't win the championship this season because, man, Giannis can't make a jump shot. He can't make a shot outside of five feet. And if Chris Middleton's now on the floor, now you're relying on Joe Ingles and Grayson Allen to create a lot more than what they're truly best suited to do. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's interesting that you don't trust Middleton's health, but you got them going to the finals. So that's interesting. But, Still do. Uh, so for me, uh, round one, I'll start on the the, the east side because I think that's a little more easier to go through. Uh, yeah, I got Milwaukee beating Miami in five. I got the Celtics beating Atlanta in five. I got Philly beating Brooklyn in five, and I got Cleveland taking it in seven. Although that could honestly switch either way. Uh, it, it doesn't really matter. Both teams are losing the second round because they're going to have to face Milwaukee, and Milwaukee is most likely taking care of them in five or six. Uh, then, then we got uh, the Celtics and Sixers. And uh, like I said, I, I have the Celtics going, um, beating the Sixers in six games. So I, I, I agree with you. I have the Celtics and Bucks. I think a lot of people have the Celtics and Bucks, uh, except for a lot of Philadelphia and Joel Embiid fans. Uh, Celtics and Bucks in the conference finals, I think it goes seven games. And like I've said multiple times, my preseason pick to go to the finals on the east side was the Celtics because they are the deepest team in the NBA. And they went, they are the defending, the reigning defending uh, Eastern Conference champions from last year. And their one major problem was getting a true point guard. And they got that in Malcolm Brogdon. And I think that just makes them that much better. I know Ime Yudoka is gone, but Joe Mazzulla has stepped up a lot. Uh, listen, if he was willing to, uh, if, I mean, not willing, if he blew that game yesterday, that would have been a major red flag, but they were able to stifle them two times where the Hawks made big runs uh, to try and close the lead, and they were able yeah. to stifle them. So that shows a lot for Joe Missoula. And But I know it's the Hawks, but it just shows that he's able to uh, you know, calm the team down and get them back into their sets and their rhythm. By the way, the Hawks made that comeback while shooting 5 of 29 as a team from deep. See, that, that and you know what? That, that just brings me to a point that I want to go side tangent real quick. I want the mid-range to come back. I want it to make a comeback because it's such a beautiful shot and it's such an effective shot and efficient. I know three is bigger than two. Okay. You don't have to throw math at me. I can count. All right. But if I make a lot of mid range shots and you're not making your three pointers, I'm going to win that game. Here's the thing, Brandon, you may like mid range shots no. from stars. You do not want to see DeJounte Murray taking hoisting nine mid-range shots a game. Making oh, no, obviously. You don't want to watch that. You yeah. want to watch guys like Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker. Well, I don't want to watch DeJounte shoot from three. But, yeah. okay, I think <laughs> I'd rather watch DeJounte tee up some open three-point looks, some catch-and-shoot threes than some mid-rangers because, while well, I may make him at a 43% rate, it's just not something that's sustainable. And Chris Milton's a great example of this too. You want to see mid-range shooting from elite mid-range shooters. Not average ones, because in order for three-pointers to be superseded by mid-range looks, it has to be guys that are super elite at mid-range then make okay. up the math gap. That's, That's what it comes down to. You've got to shoot 50% from mid-range 
for it to be equal to three-pointers. Because on average, teams shoot 35-36% from three, and most teams shoot somewhere around 44-46% to from mid-range. If you're an average mid-range shooter, you're going to be an average offense taking a lot of those looks. But in the regular season, you are right. You have to be able to diversify your portfolio, and you have to have balance. Last year, the Suns didn't get to the rim, and they took too many mid-rangers, and that cost them in the Maverick series. But the Mavericks, a team that takes a shit ton of threes and layups, got nothing to mid-range. That's why they add in Kyrie to diversify their offensive attack and yeah. make them a more versatile team to guard. Well, that that's also just you know a preference point too of watching the NBA, and I think it's just a, a better game to watch when it's more diversified shots in, instead of just a three point contest. I, I I know I'm not the only NBA or basketball fan that's out there that's saying you take too many three pointers now. It, it's too many at this point. So uh, on the east side, I got the Celtics coming out. Uh, winning a seven-game series against the uh, Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. And now to the west side, which is a little bit more confuzzled uh, and a little more fun. So I got the Nuggets beating the Timberwolves in six. I got the Lakers taking the Grizzlies out in six. I got the Warriors still in six, but I could easily see it going seven, beating the Kings. And then I have the Suns beating the Clippers in seven. Um. Now, going into the second round, it's going to be the Nuggets taking on the Lakers and the Suns taking on the Warriors. In the Suns-Warriors matchup, man, that's a tough-ass matchup, dude. KD versus Steph, we finally get it, baby. We do, but – well, not finally. We've, we've got it once again. Um Listen, Phoenix's starting five is so good, but the Warriors bench, man, it it just blows the Suns bench out of the water. That's a really good series. That's a tough one. Listen, that's going seven. I can't. I I don't. Did you have those two matching up in your in your you had those two matching up, right? No, I had the Warriors facing off with the Grizzlies. Oh, that's right, because you don't have the Lakers winning. You know, Draymond is you a help me out, tough John. matchup you help me out, help me for out. the Warriors. Just because how much they want to operate mid-range, Draymond's going to get underneath them. And I think that would be very tough to get to the rim if I'm Phoenix because I've got Draymond and Looney there. So mm-hmm. the Warriors match up better at the Suns, and they just have more so would depth. You take this, would you take Golden State in that series? I would. In that seven? doesn't matter. Yeah. I would take them in six games probably. Oh, Okay. I, I listen. I'm gonna. I can't pick one right now because honestly, I'm. I'm literally tossing up. I need to see how both teams play, uh, a couple more games, but it's going seven in my opinion. Then I got the Lakers and the Nuggets, and I think the Lakers are gonna be able to take them out in six or seven games. I just don't think Jokic can handle uh, AD, and LeBron is gonna. I mean, I, I just who the hell AG? Okay, that's cool. LeBron. That, AG that, is a fantastic cool. matchup for LeBron. Let me tell you something. AD can't handle Jokic. He wants no business. He can't handle all that. Okay, but what about on the other side? What about it? How is Jokic handling AD? AD can't make a jump shot. That helps. That helps. If you can't shoot as a big and you're playing at the rim, Jokic Jokic is best dropping back. He'll save some energy. And Aaron Gordon, he's a lot like Dylan Brooks. He's a go-getter. Yeah. You underrate him. Guess what? LeBron's still going to average 27, 8, and 8. Is it on 46% or 53% shooting? That's the difference. 
That's the difference in the series. That's 7%. Yeah, that doesn't – blah. All we'll right. watch this year. We'll so, come back. Hey, hey, hey. John, you're right. You're right. Let John. me talk to you. Let me talk to you, all right? Because I got the Lakers going to the Western Conference Finals. On the other side, it's either the Suns or the Warriors. Right now, I'm going to go Warriors, okay? But we'll talk about that series later when it when it happens and comes to fruition. Warriors, Lakers. Now, when we did talk about this matchup uh, before, I, I said, there's just, I know Draymond's tough as hell, and I know K- Kevon Looney's tough as hell, but God damn, man. I don't think either of them can handle AD, honestly. God, is LeBron going to make it to another finals? That's tough. All right, right now, the Lakers will be in the NBA finals, taking on the Boston Celtics. And I have the – I don't want LeBron to win another championship, John. I don't want to hear from LeBron fans, man. I don't. I'm taking the Boston Celtics to win the NBA Finals in seven games. Yeah. Let's renew that LA-Boston rivalry. The last seven or eight team to make it to the Finals was the 1999 Knicks in the Wildcats short season. Look, I I like the Lakers uh, as a playoff team, but – it's, They're gonna have an uphill battle here with, yeah. with their it's depth. It's all about matchups, though. It's all about matchups. I mean, you can't tell me that the Lakers can't win any of those series I just named them in. You can't tell me that it's gonna be a blow, like a blowout. Like, like really, John. I, I understand the seventh seed thing, but this is such a different year where we've never seen a seventh seed as stacked as this one. You don't see a seventh seed with LeBron and AD. That 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 doesn't happen. Yeah, but LeBron's not. At peak levels, right? Well, this at peak, okay, okay. LeBron, LeBron's peak is arguably the best ever. So he's come down a little bit, but he, that's still better than literally anybody else. And I also think, Brim, part of the Lakers' issue is uh, Darvin Ham. Like, I, 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 guy I, can, I can see that. And inconsistent, he's, 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 he's a new head coach. He's got a lot to learn. He's learning on the job, basically. Yes. Uh, so I, and I agree with those points. I just – you tell me the LeBron head coach. Tell me. Tell me the elite head coach he's had. Tyron Lue. That was one year. Mike Brown. How many years ago was that? That Was, was Mike, Mike Brown the Mike Brown now? No, he's gotten better as no. a coach. So, okay, but, but that's what I'm saying. Like, don't – Those Cavaliers were top five. And don't start to bring these – A pretty these incredible head. job with their talent. Guys. He also made a finals with David Blatt. Yeah. 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 I love oh, how you said that. That was one year, Brandon. Not Tyron, though. You had Tyron for three years in Cleveland. I forgot about that. That's, that's apologies. But that East was also weak. But again, this is this is in retrospect. People always bring up the fact that LeBron never had a, a Hall of Fame caliber head coach on his skin. So, I, I listen, the, the head coach for me doesn't is not going to bother me. And especially, this is the NBA. This isn't the NFL. The NFL is more 50-50 with the coaches. The NBA is 75-25 with the players to coach ratio. I do like your Celtics pick though, because Milton's not healthy. Uh, you know, oh, I'm confident that that pick the West, great. the West is wide open to me. The East, I'm very confident. I'm I'm steadfast since 
since day one preseason of the NBA, the Celtics are making the NBA finals. And I think that they break through this year and I think they win the championship, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, the NBA is as open as it's ever been. There's six teams that can credibly win the championship. Two of them are in the East, but four are in the West. I think there's four with the Warriors, Nuggets, Suns. I have to pick my, my, my fourth carefully here. Not the Clippers, I'll tell you that much. Definitely not them. Either the Lakers, Kings, or Grizzlies. One of those three teams. Okay. Oh, but everyone just gets the hottest. Yeah. So we talked about all of the day one games. I want to ask a question. What NBA round one series of yours to the playoffs is going to age like milk? For me, it's going to be Warriors over Kings. I have them winning in seven games, but I just I feel like there's something about this Kings team you haven't seen yet. And I am a little bit concerned about their ability to defend De'Aaron Fox because oh. his game's not getting to the rim. It, it's a level of – talk about mid-range shooting, Brandon. In the oh. upper paint, he is elite from two levels of the floor. And they're a much younger team that's well-coached. I, I think that series could really – that one could get me. So what by age, by – what do you mean by that? So like, They're a younger team that loves to push the base. Yeah, but you asked me which series do I think in round – so you mean like which one's going to be the which one's going to age the worst of yours? Which one do you feel least confident about? That's what I'm asking. Oh, in my pick, um, Cavs. Cavs over Knicks. That's reasonable. Yeah. I just I, – I underestimated the Knicks bench. Uh, and, and the Cavs literally, like a lot of people are saying, have really only two guys that can consistently go get their own shot. And Garland needs to be more aggressive. Like, we we, we, we went over it, though. So, so – we're going to talk about some trade rumors, and then at the end of the show, Dan Snyder for not him, the commanders. So Damian Lillard in his postseason presser said, look, if these morons want to rebuild and we're going to be doing this the next couple of years, not making the playing tournament, then I'm not saying I'd request a trade, but, you know, I would like to compete. What we're seeing in Portland is leverage. Damian Lillard, by being so loyal, has almost lost leverage because the Trailblazers know his card. He wants to stay, and so that gives us a longer runway. Now, is it true Dame just had his best season? Yes. Is it true he's going to turn 33 years old? Yes. We can't take for granted Damian Lillard playing at a top 10 level. He would have been all NBA this season if his team didn't stink. And I look at Portland, a team that's really had no ambition. Damian Lillard wants to gain some leverage. Because that's the only way he's actually going to have a team build around him in time. Shaden Sharp is my age. He's not going to be a quality starter for two years, probably. Anthony Simons averaged 28 points this year without Dame. It kind of bothers me when a team has two desirable choices, Brandon. You can go down either path. It's like picking a career. and like It's not like either path is bad, but you have to pick one thing. You, ha- you can't pick neither. We've seen this year with worse. It's probably better if the Warriors just picked one timeline to be a better team this year. They'd have a more clear direction. The Trailblazers have two young stars, the six best draft dots of game Victor Wembanyama. Think about this. The Blazers, after stinking this year so bad in spite of team being amazing, have a 10.6% chance of landing the greatest prospect since LeBron James. You pair up Victor Wembanyama with Anthony Simmons, Shaden Sharp, and a guy like Nasir Little, some fine role players on the outskirts, it doesn't matter, that Blazers' young core might be the best in the conference because you have three stars in the making. And yet Portland is still trying to win games, but not really. Like once we get to the 55-game threshold this season, we realize we're six games under, then we start the tank, and we waste teams' career. I'm getting to this point where 
I don't give a shit if it's more enjoyable to watch Dame drop 70 points. I'm just at a stage where we saw Reggie Miller never get a championship, but at least the Pacers built a finals team around him. And then 2004 built another contender. The Blazers have never actually picked a timeline. That's why they haven't built around Dame properly. I want to get your spin. A team like the Miami Heat, of course, they have no assets to get him, but is there an actual out well, Blazers just kind of dig their foot in the sand and say, you know what, Dame, we know you want to stay here, but it's the best thing for us as a franchise to move on. Pick a timeline, get some quality draft odds next year when you're not going to be here, and do you a favor. Is there a 10.6% chance, too, that, shit, Dame might get traded to a team like Philadelphia or New Orleans, some team that can use a star like him on the perimeter? What do you think? Is there some potential here? Is there a door opening to that possibility? I mean, I hope. I, I, I go back to the conversation we had almost a year ago now uh, where I basically said I don't want to talk about Damian Lillard anymore because Damian Lillard was very content with being a Portland Trailblazer and not competing for championships. Now, I guess after going through an entire season of being a loser, he has you know, come to this realization, he had an epiphany, that, oh, no, actually, I don't want to spend four or five more years doing this because it's not fun. That's literally what every NBA fan has been screaming at the rooftop for you, Damian Lillard, is that it's not fun. We respect the loyalty. We do. We're not saying go join a, a you know, like Kevin Durant did to the Warriors or something like that. We're saying go pair up with another superstar. Make a dynamic duo because we believe you are that good. I remember saying him in Philadelphia would have been perfect with him and Embiid. All right. Him in, you know, New Orleans, if Zion Williamson can ever stay freaking healthy, that would be in, in a hell of a freaking lineup. Uh, I know it's kind of unfair too, but him in LA with LeBron and AD, that would be stacking the deck, but that'd be, a, they'd probably be the favorites. Anyway, this guy needs to go somewhere. Dame, your talents are being wasted. Your career is being wasted. You didn't even make the play in this year. So yeah, he needs to get out of there. And I don't know if it's it's all on Portland, excuse me, or if it's all on Damian Lillard or if it's both both parties, right? But I think an amicable split is, is coming, and I think it needs to happen. I don't know who the team is, John. I'd love to say Miami. I don't know what we'd give up for him. Uh, Philadelphia is up there. That's a weird package to make up. I don't know. It's more of a wait and see thing. If I'm going to speak on Miami real quick, I don't want to say this, but I kind of have to. You will not win a championship with Bam Adebayo as your second best player. No, you're it's not, not going to happen. And I love Bam. I, I I love the strides he's made. He's a hell of a freaking player. And he's somebody who you would want on your team, but he's he's a third guy. He's not a number two. And maybe Bam needs to go because I don't think bringing Lillard in and getting rid of Butler is going to make that much of a difference. I think we'll be somewhere in the same spot, if not just take one. I mean, what's one step further? We were just in the Eastern Conference Finals last year in Game 7. So I don't think that works. I think the best suit is is possibly Bam. Uh, having a package around maybe Bam and Hero 
I know that's too maybe too much for, for Lillard, but I, I don't know. That's the best thing I can come up with. I, I would hate to get rid of Bam, but like I said, he's not – you can't win a championship with him as a number two, and I hate saying that, but it's just the truth. You can as number three. I think – or shout out to Ethel being in the chat. He, he made the point multiple times. Bam is best playing with another big, one that can shoot ideally like a Miles yeah. Turner. Just get into one that can play the five. So Bam's responsibility shifts from – all right, being the number two scorer, number two playmaker, and also the defender guarding on the perimeter and also protecting the rim, that's just like an impossible task. Talk about Anthony Davis. He can't do that. No center really can. But if you pair up Bam with a guy like Miles Turner and then a more credible number two to Jimmy Butler, I think it's quite clear he could start on a championship team. He's probably the most versatile defender in the sport. Uh, it's just well, a matter can, of yeah, his yeah. responsibility shifting because what Miami asks out of him is too big of a role for him to then play an elite level in that responsibility that he has on both ends of those. That's like a superstar responsibility that he's got to do that. So I I think Miami, if they can get some better shooting next year, they should. I think their shooting won't be 27th in the league. I think Bam's going to be, I think honestly, Bram, Bam is going to be, when his career is over, one of the five or six greatest players in the franchise history. Up there with Lonzo Mourning, truly one of those core pillars that, for a decade, was a starter on the playoff to contending level teams. He's been to the finals in number two. If he didn't get hurt in 2020, who knows what could have happened. As for Dame, what team could possibly get a compelling enough offer for Lillard? Uh, there's not many teams out there because a lot of them that have the assets aren't looking to make the, the jump right now. Nope. Uh, the Pelicans foolishly made that jump for CJ McCollum, and they extended him to a pretty bad contract now. Nope. But you know, real quick, I don't want to go on a side tangent, but we, we've got people that really disrespect, I think, C.J. McCollum. C.J. McCollum is the reason they went to the conference finals. So I know Dame dominated in that Thunder series in 2019, but C.J. McCollum played on Dame's level. And the Western Conference finals, when Dame shot out to 40% against the Warriors and they got swept, C.J. McCollum was also the one in Game 7 versus Nuggets who won them that game. Dame played like shit. He shot, I think, 20 or 30% in that game. CJ had the game-winning, basically the game-winning block for CJ, uh, Jim Murray. He was the best player in Game 7. It's a matter of getting deemed a star complimenting or near that level CJ McCollum played at a 25-point-per-game score. But I want to make very clear, we've got uh, Darren in the chat. He's saying that it's not Dean Lillard's best season. He got knocked out the playoffs three weeks ago. If you watch Portland this year, this was the best season Damian Lillard has ever had. If you're talking, you're talking, you're talking him just looking at him in a vacuum, not I looking think that at what's being said. I don't think I have to even preference that. Yeah, I, I know. It's, it's just, you know. Lord, it was his best season against the foul line. His finishing was at, yeah, I think, 65 or 66 percent. And his three point mm. shooting, his volume, his playmaking. This was the best version we've seen of him. And I, I think it's really lazy of people to say otherwise. And that's that's why this matters. Like, mm-hmm. Dame is a top 10 to 12 player in the league. And for many contending teams, he would be a huge upgrade that would move the needle between you being knocked out in the second rounds and you go in the finals. There's one team. This won't happen because defensively it'd be so bad. Uh, but John Morant and Damian Lillard would be such a compelling duo. And I think for a Grizzlies team that has young assets, they have the Warriors first round pick in 2024. They have Zaire Williams, a sure. former top 10 pick. They have all of their draft picks. They have a couple of very young, nice, compelling pieces and Desmond Bain will probably be part of that. He's 25 next year. But I, I think Memphis will be one of those interesting teams where if they get knocked out again this year in the second round, they're going to make some sort of big-time move. It's just that team wouldn't be the right fit the same way Donovan Mitchell wasn't. Here's a, I, I like that idea. I think that would be pretty fun watching those two players, Jaron Jackson. Here's a, here's a couple of teams out there, right? Um, Minnesota, 
they could strum up a pretty good package to maybe go with uh, Ant and um and Lillard uh, as their two main guys. Uh, the Clippers, if they wanna, if they think Paul George maybe isn't it anymore, they can build a package around him and get Lillard and, and Kawhi in there. Uh, and then on the Eastern side, uh, I definitely do think the Knicks might want to plunge. Uh, but those are just a couple of teams right there that that could go and help. You know what? The Bucks too. The Bucks. You 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 maybe I I don't know what the deal would be. But you get Giannis and Lillard in there. I mean, hell, that's a freaking duo right there. So there's some teams out there. It's depending on what they want to plunge or not. And I, I, I do hope we see Damian Lillard in a different jersey next year on a, a team that's actually a, a true contender. Yeah, if RJ Barrett wasn't being paid a hundred million dollars, I think the Knicks well, he would be in the he would be in the in the. Yeah, unfortunately, break. I think zero teams want that contract of a hundred million. Oh, but man. you know, I, I definitely think. The Knicks have all the draft picks, much like the, the Grizzlies, too. At least get the volume, right? The Suns, they got Kevin Durant because they had the picks. And Mikel Bridges was then the add-on, honestly, because no one expects him to become a star the way he has yeah. in Brooklyn. I, I think the Knicks are one of those players, but you know, their best asset, Brandon, is probably excluding Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, Emmanuel quickly, because they're going to have to pay $100 million to upwards this year. Like they're yeah. going to pay him at least $20 million a season because the cap is about a spike with the new TV deals. Mm. So I think the Knicks have the assets, they have the picks, but there's very few teams. Uh, there's honestly none. Maybe the Pelicans still could, even with CJ McCollum. It just wouldn't make much sense to pair those guys up. That actually has the assets, and they, they feel like they're one point guard that's a lead away. Mm. Uh, the Pelicans have Dyson Daniels. They're going to have a top. 14 pick this year and then they also have yeah it's kind of where it ends actually <laughs> they had the blakers pick next year so they have a couple of assets but long story short i think the blazers are going to keep Dame, and they're probably going to waste his career but the good news the That's good up. news is if they get victor Wembanyama this year there is a possibility that happens though all like unlikely they will be a contender next year because the one thing they have lacked is a center that can space the floor Cash lobs do a little bit off the dribble and also can protect the rim. None of that Yusuf Nurkic brings. If you swap out Yusuf Nurkic, who's already injury prone, with Victor Wembanyama, I think next year this Portland team would be a 48-1 squad. They would be Sacramento. I, I strongly believe that they would be a player in the Western Conference. Victor could be one of those guys that makes an all-star team as a rookie, and I really compare him to Duncan, and David Robinson, where he may not be physically ready, but his skill level is, is more than ready to come in and, and really be maybe an all-NBA player. And, I have to – listen, there's a lot of hype behind him. I have to see it to believe it. Um, that's a little much, in my opinion, for right now, but fair. He is the best prospect of the last 20 No, I, I – again, I, I I said there's a lot of hype behind him, but, I, again, I have to see it to believe it. It's just that that's a lot for me, a, a young rookie kid – coming in there and it that that's a lot that's a lot what you just said it, it is seven foot four i get it i get it. listen i know i've seen i've heard i i know i know i've seen i've heard john but that you cannot sit there or stand there and say that's not a lot of pressure you're putting on that kid that's a lot like i said i have to see it to believe it you know you familiarize the victor real soon Brent. let me tell you okay i think that's fair there has not been a more safe prospect to select. And there's one concern, which is injuries. The kid's okay. doing these weird monkey okay, drills. That's, 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 like, 
to work on his like foot and his toe strength, like his toe strength. You don't see seven foot four guys doing that. I, I think he's thin enough to be one of the exceptions. Maybe he can have a durable career in spite of being an absolute that, that, power. That's the one thing that I would say is the durability. If that be. if that's the case, if he's really taking at 15, 17 years old, the necessary precautions to build up your lower body strength in that fashion, he's doing stuff that's never been done before mm-hmm. in his training. Shit. I, I really think Victor is – is something the NBA has never seen. Uh, I'm pretty excited for it. Pretty excited, but because like this is this is a, it actually takes away brand. This is probably the best draft class since Lucas class, mm-hmm. where you've got four or five guys that can all be all NBA players, and maybe two more that can be all stars. We don't talk about Anthony Simons, Jalen Brunson, Shea Gilgis, and Trey Young. When we think of 2018, we think of Luca versus DeAndre Ayton. And now in this class, there's not a DeAndre Ayton to be taken ahead of Luca yeah. or, or ahead of Victor, fortunately. Uh, also GMs are smarter nowadays, but yeah, I mean, Victor, I think is a better prospect than Luca, honestly, because of the, his, his position at center, it's just a, a type of skill set he has that is very rare. Uh, that's enough of my tangent. Uh, do you want to talk about some football? Let's talk about some foosball. Let's talk about some Washington commanders, you know? So as someone that's about to turn 20 years old, my entire lifetime, the owner of the Washington commander slash Redskins has been Dan Snyder. And aside from, you know, like the whole being a terrible person type of thing, a penny pinching meddling owner that is suing fans, maybe because during that housing crash, uh, a real estate bank or uh, I guess you can call it a real estate agent. You know, some people couldn't actually maintain their season tickets. So Dan Snyder actually decided to sue them uh, until the Washington Post got a hold of it. You know, that's one thing. It's another thing to, to kind of be a meddling owner. Um, that doesn't hire the right people, sets a pretty terrible standard, terrible culture, doesn't rebuild the stadium, and doesn't want to win. And you can tell that pretty quickly with owners nowadays. Now Dan Snyder is selling the Washington Commanders for a price of $6 billion. Josh Harris, the 76ers owner, in fact, he's not the best owner either, but he's not Dan Snyder, is buying the team of Magic Johnson being a part of the group. It's kind of cool, Brandon. Magic Johnson, he's part-time owner of the Dodgers. He owned the Lakers up until 2010. Now he gets a little piece of this Washington Commanders franchise that, dude, before you and I, in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, they were one of the premier teams. Uh They were one of those franchises that no matter who the quarterback was, was always a Super Bowl contender. They have, if memory serves, three or four Super Bowl trophies. I don't remember. They've been nowhere near that since. Uh And the glory days of the Dan Snyder era was one year with Robert Griffin III, Uh 2012, and since that point, I mean, they've only made the plus four or five times since he's bought the team. Now you look at what Washington could be with their type of talent on that roster. They're probably going to get a new coach in here, I think. Ron Rivera may not be here after this year if he doesn't have a winning season in year four. I think we're seeing a little bit of a shift here in energy with the commanders where look, Josh Harris doesn't have to be the best owner. But if you can at least not be meddling, you can let your GM do your job, his job. And most importantly, hire the right people to then build a pretty good football team. You've got a lot to work. How do you think? How do you feel about this? Do you think the commanders could restore what they once were pre-Dan Snyder now? Uh, listen, I've 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 been much higher on the commanders uh, than you and Justin have been. Uh, I I picked the commanders to be the second best team in the NFC East coming into uh, last season, uh, and I think that actually they're the third best team in that division going into this season. Might I still might be going blindly in there, but I, I just truly believe that they have talent on the offense they have talent on the defense uh 
call me a sucker, but I, I do think Ron Rivera is still a good head coach in this league. Uh, they got Eric Bieniemy in there now as the offensive coordinator. Uh, listen, I don't believe in the quarterback, Sam Howell, mostly because I haven't seen much of him. But it, it's the team is very good around him. Can they get it? it listen, that NFC East always stirs up something every year where it, it, it just it can flip on its head. I think the first thing is they need to get a quarterback. Uh, that that's what I think because I, I again I don't know about Sam Howell. I, I really don't. Um, I know he was a highly touted prospect one, uh, one of his years in college, and then I think his last going into his senior year. Yeah, and yeah. then he yeah he 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 kind of fell down. But I I, I hope for Washington fans, hell man, it, the the you know hearing about them back in the nineties and eighties and seventies that that team was you know tough smash mouth football. They had great O lines, uh, great run games. So I I hope so because they, listen when the NFC the NFC East is always going to be a tough division, but it, it starts with the quarterback for the Commanders. It really does. But it, great thing getting Dan Snyder out of there because I mean nobody wanted him there. The fans didn't want him there, so it, it's good to just get him out the door. At least it's now it's a you know a brush a breath of fresh air for that that um a team. That's the perfect way to put it because the the. Commanders slash Redskins have had a lot of bad luck as a team, too. Mm. You talk about Robert Griffin's injury. He then let go of Kirk Cousins, and you pivot from Cousins to a more proven quarterback in Alex Smith, and Alex has his tragic yeah, leg injury. Yeah. Alex was on pace that year to bring them to the playoffs, and we a lot of us thought that Alex would be the steady guide in that organization. Now, Jay Gruden was their coach then. It's not the best coach. That was the last year at the team. But you pivot from three different quarterbacks that could have been a franchise guy, but due to injuries and you just not paying Kirk Cousins because you know he's having some really good seasons there you, oh. you don't want to give him the guaranteed money that's an ownership thing um because you have to put that money in escrow account yeah I, I think Washington like you said is truly a, a franchise quarterback and a breath of fresh air away from becoming a steady team here in the NFC East because the Eagles they're gonna have to pay Jalen Hurts soon yeah. the Cowboys they're committed to Dak Prescott and the Giants with Daniel Jones they feel stuck in mediocrity in some ways. The commanders are that team with so much investment into their defensive line. They've got a lot of skill on their offense between Jahan Dotson, Ron Robinson, and most notably Terry McLaurin. You put a young quarterback here in a rookie contract, that could be Sam Howell. Sam Howell has a lot of skill to his game. And yeah, I think the coach may not be Ron Rivera. Uh, he hasn't had many winning seasons. He's well-respected. But I think for a, a conference that hasn't had a reliable contender, some years it was the Cowboys. Now it's the Eagles. No, this could be not only the Commanders restoring order, but the NFC East, Brandon, truly becoming one of the best divisions in football because the Giants have their coach. The Eagles have their roster, which is insane. They have their GM, which is probably more important, and they have the right values. Uh -huh. The Cowboys are always going to be relevant, at least, uh -huh. and they have a pretty good roster. They've drafted well in recent years. Now the Commanders are up next, and I'm pretty excited as a football fan because their fan, their fan base has been through too much. It's been a fifth of a century. It's been 25 years almost that they have not had any any semblance of this leadership or structure, but yeah. I think this is where that starts to change, and that's going to be exciting. Actually, unlike you, I like the Commander's name. I think it's going to be 20 years. Yeah. I think Commanders, like the Jets and the Cowboys, it's going to fit in well. I'm a big fan of their division name, to be honest with you. 
but yeah, the there's no way to like shorten it like a nickname. Like you always got it. Like, like you can't. Just, right. No, you don't. But for a no. team that's won three Super Bowls, <laughs> <Say commies. laughs> for a team that's won yeah three Super Bowls, <laughs> I think they're gonna win their fourth in my lifetime at least. You know, Dan Snyder didn't feel like it was trending that way. So. Yeah, man, they've won three Super Bowls. They were one of like they were truly one of the four or five best franchises with the Dolphins, the Cowboys, the Steelers, and then the Raiders. Like that was the top five. Yeah. And they fell from five to like 30 seconds yeah, in just 24 bad. years. That's all I've known. It's just mm-hmm. poor management. Now that finally changes. It's good to see the bad owners getting out of here. Unfortunately, there's more bad owners than good. But yeah, man, as a football fan, I'm I'm excited. I, I hope that they do well and they find the right management to uh to become a good team. Yeah. Know, that was 10 minutes of the Redskins slash commander. That was a lot. Wow. Okay. Right. Anything else we want to discuss down? No. No? No topics? Uh, most notably, shout out. Um, Dolphins are signing. Choose Anderson. I don't, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> Justin, he got me my ain't shit funny shirt. We want to shout out Justin. Give for all of you guys in the chat, drop some W's for Justin. The show would not be possible without him. We're gonna have him back on hopefully soon. Orange and blue skies. But you know, you know, the Knicks, if they win this series, he's gonna come lit up. Look, this shirt I wore this at the gym yesterday. I felt 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 pretty, you know, level-headed. It's it's one of my favorite shirts. Um, and hey, look, it's it's not a jersey either. I'm not a big jersey guy, though. I've got four of them behind me. Mm. So yeah, man. Uh shout out to Justin. Uh, and uh, yeah, not not anything else that's relevant. So, with all that being said, it's going to wrap up episode number ninety four of the Wise Guys podcast. Yes, yeah, too much for watching. Staying to the very end, and as well, always, basketball. We'll come back okay. to you Can't with wait. deeper analysis of the mm. first round of the playoffs, Nuggets and four. And as always, till next time. Stay classy.